Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds on KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cochilillo. Before we get started, I'd like to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producer Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, senior editor Amanda Steele, author of Ghosts of Me, binaural production engineer Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in contributing to this podcast, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find a whole bunch of information there on how you can can contribute. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is James, uh, let's try to pronounce this, Newsbomber. That's pretty close. James Nussbaumer. Nussbaumer. Got it. Um, And you have written uh, three or four books. Uh, One of them um, is about abundance. And it looks like they're all sort of inspired by Courses of Miracles. Is that correct? Yes. I miraculously uh, stumbled during a hardship of my life, stumbled into a publication called A Course in Miracles. And um, so I, I will just uh, we can go on with that, but I'll, yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of, the story is kind of interesting. Like, like, like it looks like you uh, got in a little bit of trouble and ended up uh, locked up for a little while. Yes, uh, most of my life after, well, my adult life after I uh, did some good time, great time in the United States Air Force. So I'm still connected to in a way, but I'm not active duty. And, Reservist, I did that, but I was I was active duty in my younger days. When I got out of the United States Air Force, um, I stumbled into actually I went to college for a little bit on the GI Bill and then uh, almost finished up there. <laughs> but then I stumbled into the financial services business, and then from there uh, went on to like you could be equivalent, say like a stockbroker or financial advisor, that kind of a thing. And I spent 25 years there. And uh, so now I'm at the age of 50 after all this time has gone by. And it's, it's a business I really didn't want to be in. But uh, the money was, uh, I was doing well and people were encouraging me to stay going. And I was becoming successful. And, you know, uh, so, uh, but it was a, actually a, a career that I loathed. If you know what I mean by that, I just kind of was, I really didn't want to be there, but it was paying the bills and uh, uh, still in the back of my mind, I, 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 it was a career I didn't want to be in. In college, I always, uh, uh, even before I went to the Air Force, I was in college for a little bit at Kent State University. And then, uh, of course, while I was in the United States Air Force, too, they they paid for my uh college too so i went at night school while i was in there and then i went back to school when i got off of active duty and i was on the reserve in the reserves for a while too after that and then i continued so uh, i always took the literary uh, uh area i always was involved in, in writing and i just knew that there was something within me i needed to write about i mean 
and I, it was always uh, in my in my first book called The Master of Everything. It's a story of mankind in the world of illusion we call life. I explained the whole story of what happened to me. And yes, there's four books out now with more to come. But so I'll explain what happened in my 25th year of, of practice as a financial advisor. I, I crossed an illegal line, which many would consider it was a, I call it a foolish securities violation, foolish on, on my part for making the mistake I did, but also foolish on the, the court system who handled me really, really poorly. And I still got a, and everyone that knows me knows that it, it was, it was bad. And I had a terrible lawyer, but I'll explain in a minute. So I, I, I crossed a, a legal line. Many might call it misappropriation of funds. And it was an, on an amount of money of right at about $100,000, not millions, $100,000. People lost three different clients, lost money. Well, I was able to, out of my own, re reimburse those people for their loss. And uh, an angry judge who was upset with me because I wouldn't go, go to a, uh, come to a, a plea bargain, uh, and, and my my lawyer was just telling me that he had that I just needed to, uh, you know, continue on here and not accept the plea deal. And and long story short, I had a terrible lawyer who gave me the wrong advice and didn't do any work for me. So I was found guilty. I lost my case in court and I was found guilty. And I was sentenced to 10 years in prison in an Ohio prison, uh, not a federal prison, in a state prison, state penitentiary where I was um in with, uh, you know, people might think, well, you, you had a financial crime. You, where you're going is going to be swimming pools and tennis courts and that kind of thing. No, it's not that way. I was in with people that were doing life sentences for all kind of terrible things that you could imagine. So my first book of this, so when I first, when I got into prison, I knew that I had to write something. And I just was, it took me the first six months or something like that to, um, kind of, uh, what am I going to write about? I don't want to write about the financial services business because that got me in trouble. So uh, I always had been into uh, the self-help books, spiritual but not religious kind of slants to things. In fact, one of my favorite authors is Wayne W. Dyer. Many of your listeners probably know who I'm talking about there and other people like uh, Deepak Chopra and uh, Eckhart Tolle and, and a few people along those lines. And so I always studied their work and it, it, before I went into prison, before this ever went down, through my years of, of, of business trying to keep myself motivated and inspired, I would read these people's books and I would notice that they would always mention quotes uh, from a publication called A Course in Miracles. For example, Wayne Dyer may have said in one of his, often through his books, um, consider this what A Course in Miracles says, something like that, and give a, a principle or a lesson from A Course in Miracles. And the same with the others, um, and many more than I had mentioned that I had studied and read. And I was always thinking in the back of my mind, um, uh, what is this Course in Miracles? Is it, it A Course in Miracles? It's A Course in Miracles. And what is this? And so I'd say, well, one of these days I'm going to have to go check it out. And it's not like me to procrastinate on anything. It wasn't. But for some reason, I didn't go down to the local bookstore. 
to search it out. I, I, I the, well, the internet was kind of new, and actually, there was no internet in the early years too. You know, because uh, I started as a financial advisor in the early '80s. Um, but so, uh, yeah, so I'm like, so I said, one of these days, I'm going to have to investigate this A Course in Miracles. What is this thing? Uh, so I, uh, the, everything went down. I never investigated it. I went to prison, uh, and make, and I explained this in my book, so I won't go into detail, uh, of that right. The first book, The Master of Everything. And, uh, I'm, there was a, a fire alarm that went off in the prison. I was jam packed in with, oh, it's unbelievably insane, uh, uh, inhumane ways that they treat uh, prisoners in state prisons. State prisons are the worst because I've talked to people that were in federal prisons and they're a little better because their budget is higher. And, but it's still, so anyways, there was a, a fire drill went off and I was able to escape from the fire drill because I was on my way to the duty I had at the, uh, the dining hall, chow hall, we call it. So I stopped into the library and the library is not a library like you'd see in your town, which is, you know, beautiful and all these books and comfortable chairs. The library in prison is more or less like a, uh, a big walk-in closet, you could say, with, you know, old books, outdated, nothing brand new that your library would have. It's just things that uh, maybe local libraries around the country or throughout that area would donate to the prison system. So I'm in there and I, uh, I, I saw I'm in this section that's considered to be philosophical type stuff, like I'd always like to read. And um, I looked at this thick, thick, a couple inches thick, about I'd say you could compare it to about the size of a Bible. And it, it was faded. It was uh, navy blue, uh, faded, really faded, and gold lettering that was faded. I pulled it off the shelf. It, it, it fell down on my foot and I picked it up to look at it. And on the front cover in fate, gold faded lettering, you and I are on video right now, and I can show it to you right here. Uh, but your listeners can't aren't seeing it, but they'll know if they see my YouTube videos because I've showed it there. And it was um, I looked at it, and look, you could see it says a course, but it was you know a course, and but it's, it faded more over time that I was in prison. It said, A Course in Miracles. So, <laughs> wow, I mean, I was shaking. I mean, I was shaking and, and trembling. I'm like, I can't believe this. And so I said, this is who you are. I've been looking for you. <laughs> it took me to come to prison. So I opened it, I opened it and I looked and it sent me to a, uh, I just paged through it and it sent me to a, um, a lesson that I should take right away. I won't say that because it's in my book, but in the cover of the book, and this was very exciting, and it's still exciting to me today because I um, tremble every time I talk about it. But on the, uh, you can see there is uh, the uh, first page, and in, in, inside the cover, it's blacked out a little bit because when something comes into a prison library, if there's a note from someone who sent it there, they black it out with a magic marker because someone's phone number was on there, so they don't want prisoners to have that of course so it's blacked out but it was still submitted to the library and it said i could read through the black magic marker and it says this book belongs to you um i hope you find use in this and it gave an, a p.o box address and a phone number of a woman in sedona arizona so somehow i 
I, I never don't know who this woman ever was, but she uh, somehow she uh, studied it and, you know, maybe it was found uh, in an estate sale or something like that, that 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 got to a, a, a distributing center of old books in Arizona and finally found its way to uh, southeastern Ohio where I was at in a prison. But when I opened it, you know, when you open when you go to the library and the in the, the, the back page of the book, there's a tab in there that, you know, where the, the little ticket goes in yep. when you check out a book. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I looked at that, the same thing they had there. And the book was received at the prison in uh, 1995. And uh, this was 2007 now that I was there. And not one time was that book checked out. Not once. It sat there the whole time until I got there. How many years later? So that right there, and believe me, when you're in prison and you're facing 10 years, you are just so lost and so confused. And so, especially when you have been a successful person all your life and you just made a terrible mistake, that, and then you had the, the court system and that against you, course i'm not I'm, I'm not you know trying to come across as a victim here i'm just saying that that's how you feel and now you're in there in prison worrying about your life and i explained the details of what i went through in prison in my first book called the master of everything so anyways um i decided i mean it was right in me right now like wow I, i've got to dive into this because i had the time to do it and i explained all that so i started writing and after about um studying and making notes uh first of all in prison there's no computer where you can sit down and you know the keypad and, and you know casually type out a book no computer usage at all in prison so you you're not even allowed ink pens in the, unless you get it worked out through the warden somehow so there was a a friend of mine from the united states air force who is no longer in it but air force people seem to connect and stay uh connected to people no matter what happens, had written me that I hadn't talked to or seen in years. He found out about my case. He goes, anything you need, I'm going to send you. What do you need? I wrote him back and said, well, listen, I got, to, I'm, I got to start writing a book, but I, I need blah, blah, blah. He said, can you, and I wrote him a letter saying, can you uh, talk, contact the warden about what I'm doing? And I planned, so he contacted the warden saying he was on behalf of the United States Air Force, even though he, the Air Force didn't order him that. I'm just because if he had to, he would have gotten their uh, approval. The warden said, sure, as long as he stays out of trouble, we'll allow you to send in these composition journals and black ink pens to him. And we'll keep an eye on him to make sure that, you know, he's doing what he says he's going to do. So that went on and uh, I started to write. And um, this was in 2007, 2008. So it went on to, so my friend again, Ronnie, He's also a veteran of the Air Force, sent me, uh, I said, Ronnie, I'm going to need what's called a writer's market. I, I had no idea how to, how, to, how to get a publisher. So I will tell you this, that I was in that library, that same library, like a walk-in closet. So I'm like, I don't even know how to get a publisher. How am I going to do this? I know I got something going here. What am I going to do? <clears throat> so in that same old library, I found a 10-year-old National Yellow Pages. Remember they had the white pages and the yellow pages? There was a 10-year-old 
national yellow pages where you have the, you know, we have, for us remember the yellow pages know that it was, you know, listed with businesses. So I looked up under publishing literary agents and there was about 10 literary agents listed in there. But this publication was 10 years old, so I didn't know if they were still in business or not. So I wrote to every one of them. And first of all, you're only allowed to have so many envelopes to write to people, a couple, three or four a month. But I got permission uh, to have more envelopes because they knew I was seeking things. So that, that's all detailed in my book. I don't need to go into that, that there. So I, I wrote to this, all these publishers. One One of the publishers... Some of them got returned, not at this address anymore, because like I said, it was 10 years old. So uh, one literary agent, her name was Sandra, and I won't mention her last name because I don't have permission to do that. And she was in California. Uh, so I, she said, I said, I, there, I'm in prison. I, I, can you help me? Is there any, can you give me some direction uh, what to do? She goes, I can't help you, but I will help you with this. Go find the writer's market. That's all she had to say. She wrote that in the side of my, of my letter I sent to her and returned it to me. She didn't give a lengthy letter back to me. So I contacted my friend Ronnie and I says, hey, uh, check out the writer's market, whatever it is, I got to have it. Check with the warden again and, and see if you can get that into me. And sure enough, within a couple of weeks, I got the 2008 version of the writer's market. And that was listed with um, literary agents and publishers all over the world. So in the beginning of the public of the writer's market is an instruction area on how to create a query, which is a short one page letter enticing a publisher to or agent to go with you and offer you a contract, teaches you how to do that. And it also it says that um, whoever you uh, write to, you need to you, you have an envelope for yourself and you need to have a second envelope a SACE, S-A-C-E, self-addressed stamped envelope inside for that person you're writing to, to ask them to represent you or they will not get back to you. That's how the game works. So, okay. So now for every, uh, so now there's all these hundreds of publishers and literary agents that I'm writing to. So now I get into writing by hand. So I'm now I'm getting into the habit of this and I'm learning. Now 2009 comes around. I'm getting rejection letters like you would not believe. But I knew the game and how it works. You know, I was sending them a SACE, self-addressed envelope with my query. And uh, they knew I knew the game, but they didn't want to touch me because I was in prison, most of them. And, um, of course, I've never been published before either. So that's tough in itself. So <laughs> I uh, just kept perfecting my query to sharpen it up and sharpen it up and make it more better. So 2009, my friend Ron sends me in a publication of the the 2009 publication. Every year, the writer's market updates its publication. 2009, I got a new one. 2010, I got so whenever I would receive one, like the 2009 from the prison system, they would give me the 2009, but I'd have to throw the 2008 one away because I wasn't allowed to keep all that. So it went all the way up to 2014. So now I've been doing this for all that time. I'm in there, 2014, and I'm also in the meantime working with other lawyers to try to get me out of this unfair sentence because people who lost money were were, were restituted and got their money back. But it was a, an angry, angry judge who said under his watch he would never release me. 
<clears throat> so I was also working with that too. And uh, uh, by the way, the lawyer that represented me who did a terrible job, I let me back up a little bit. <clears throat> Six months after I was in prison, it was all over uh, the, the paper, the newspaper, newspapers in Ohio that we would get like three days later because we're in prison, they held up the news from us that long. That my lawyer, uh, it was on front page, front page. He was about the same age as me at the time. Died of a cocaine overdose, a substance abuse overdose, is what it said. He was found dead in his backyard. Okay. So, anyways, fast forward. So now we're in 2014. I've been writing all this all this time. Meanwhile, while I'm studying this book that I'm showing you here, all the time, and writing and writing, and I know I got something going. I mean, I just know. In fact, here's an old postcard from a, a literary agent. If you can hardly see it, but it's it's dated and it's 2009. And the, the typewriter, she typed it. A retired literary agent who understood my story that I wrote to, she she couldn't, her name was um, Barbara, I better not mention her, well, I think she's gone now from the Europe, and she won't mind, her name was Barbara Deal, and she said, dear Mr. Nussbaumer, thank you for your inquiry to me, but I have retired from um, being a literary agent, so I urge you to continue writing through the writer's market, and I continue to nonstop Keep writing week in and week out to them. Someone will find their way to you. Signed, you can see the signature here, signed by Barbara Deal. You can see the old thing. <laughs> I keep this as a bookmark in my Course in Miracles. Okay. So this was 2009. The postmark is on that. So now we're 2014. I'm about losing hope. And uh, in one week, I get, I get a, a, a letter responding to my with my SACE self-addressed stamped envelope because uh, like I said I was getting rejection letters all the time I mean everyone I was writing to was rejecting me I had enough rejection letters to wallpaper the entire in, inside of the prison I say okay so I got from a literary agency I got a, 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 an acceptance letter saying we want to know more we we want to we think we want to contract you this is a little Literary, literary agency in upstate New York, and I, I don't want to mention their name right now because they're good people, but I didn't go with them, but they're always in my hip pocket if I need to go to them, and they know that for now. But So a couple days later in the same week, I get another letter from who my publisher is now, Ozark Mountain Publishing Company, a letter from Dolores Cannon, who is deceased now. And Dolores Cannon is just a super, super woman. She's, if you know anything about Ozark Mountain Publishing Company, they are into the spiritual, metaphysical, and, uh, you know, the UFO stuff that people were coming through and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, my books aren't about UFO, but, I mean, that's part of some Some of their authors are that way, but it's mostly, um, you know, the self-help, personal development uh, spiritual, metaphysical, but not religious kind of area. So I corresponded with her. So then I, I had another person, and I don't need to go deep into who that was either, wrote on the outside, say, listen, I got this uh, from the literary agency. This They're helping me. I mean, I was so excited. I was really crying when I read the letters. And I got this from Ozark Mountain Publishing Company. And I had someone research said, who should I go with? They're both great. And so the person that on the outside, her name is Carol. I won't mention the last name. 
and I've, I've, I explain this in the book. She contacted both of them and said, hey, they're both great. But she contacted Dolores Cannon and talked personally to Dolores Cannon while I was in prison and, and for me on my behalf and said that Dolores Cannon said, well, with us, we, we really want to go with him. We know what he's going through. She was retired military, uh, lieutenant colonel in the Army, and uh, founded her company in 1992, I believe, and just a great company. They're, they're just, this, this publishing company is on their way. Um, so, but I didn't know them at the time, and she was, they were one of the hundreds of letters that I'd written to. So uh, my friend Carol got back to me and says, hey, listen, um, Dolores Cannon says, with them, you don't need a literary agent. And I really wasn't worried about, you know, the money that you'd have to give to a literary agent and, you know, sacrificing some of your commissions for that. No, 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 not at all. But but it was just that we all we made a decision felt that um, uh, Ozark Mountain Publishing Company is where I needed to be from my communications was with Dolores. So I wrote back to um, the literary agency in upstate New York and I explained this to them and I said, I hope there's no hard feelings. And they wrote back and said, no, no hard feelings at all. We understand. If you ever need our help, let us know. So, you know, that was good. So now we're going into 2000. So anyways, now my first book, we got the manuscript, the girl Carol, I helped me get the, help me get had my handwritten journals uh, typed into manuscript form and sent off to Ozark Mountain Publishing Company. So by 2015, my first book, The Master of Everything, which uh, I know you are here on video and I'll show you this. <laughs> it's right here. Okay. And, uh, it was on sale on Amazon and wherever books are sold because Ozark Mountain is a mainstream publisher. And, and so I was still in prison. <laughs> my, my friend Ronnie, I said, Ronnie, I'm writing from him. I, Cause I, like I said, there's no community. I said, can you, uh, uh, ch keep checking on Amazon a little bit or somewhere online to see if my book's out there yet. And, and one day I, he kept checking and checking. No, I don't see anything yet because, well, they were still working on it and it didn't get, so I'm still in prison. And Ronnie writes back and he says, he called me Jimbo, Jimbo, Jimbo. He says, I, I don't know how you did this, but I'm looking at your book on Amazon right now. <laughs> I'm in prison. So anyway, so 2015 come around. Another lawyer came through. Uh, late 2015, um, I was still corresponding with Dolores Cannon about where we're going to go with the book. And I, you know, she knew I had a second, a third and a fourth and actually up to 16 books I'd written while I was away. In fact, we're working on the fifth book right now. So, uh, but there's more to that. So now 2015, I got another lawyer involved and they saw my, I said, Hey, look at that. My book is on there. I wrote and explained kind of this new lawyer who I'd never met only by uh, uh, U.S. snail mail, and uh, he wrote back to me and and said, "Well, listen, I checked you out. Yeah, I see your book on there." He says, "Let me investigate this. This is late 2015." And he says, um, "Wrote back to me." And when you get legal mail in prison, you get a letter from a lawyer. It's called legal mail, and that you just don't. You got to go sign for it because uh, they want to make sure that you get it, and um, no one steals it because. Uh, Anyways, there's a bunch of theft and murders going on all the time in prison. So, uh, so anyways, he finally wrote back to me to make a long story short. It was Christmas Eve, 2015. 
which was a weekday, the mail was running and I went and you know, I had to go sign at uh, this area you go to to sign for legal mail. And it was from this lawyer, Rick. Uh, it's okay, Rick Patini. And he says, I talked to the necessary prosecutors and uh, we all agree that you need to be released from prison right away. <laughs> I had tears were running down my face. I mean, wow. I just knew because I knew the whole time while I was writing The Course in Miracles from there, while I was writing my books, how I landed a publisher, how I did, I knew that I was there for a reason, that I had to go through this hard time for a reason, for whatever reason that is. So that was December 24th of, um, you know, Christmas Eve. So it took till March because the legal system runs uh, slow. So it was March of, um, of uh, 2016 where I get out, finally get out. They, well, they actually, the county the court system had to come get me. I wasn't released the normal way. Well, you walk out the gate and you say, hey, good luck. No, they, they come and get me for, uh, I had to go appear in front of the judge another judge who took the place of the one who said he was never going to let me go. And that's a long story too. But, but anyway, so then I had to spend a few days in the county jail uh, while I was waiting to go in front of the court, but I knew that I was being released and that was refreshing right there. So, you know, you go in front of the judge and then I had my, uh, my sister and my oldest daughter, uh, they were there to pick me up and greet me and everything and take me home and take me to where I was going to stay for a while. And so I was released on March 5th of 2016. So the first thing I wanted to do was call Ozark Mountain Publishing Company and talk to Dolores, Dolores Cannons, get her name spelled right, D-O-L-O-R-E-S, Dolores Cannon. She's got many books. At uh, Of course, you know, she's no longer mm -hmm. with us anymore. And I'll explain. First thing I want to do is contact Dolores and say, God, I just want to hear your voice, you know, and other there's other you know, people at Ozark, too, that I was corresponding with, but especially Dolores. And I talked to um, Shonda at the time, was the um, uh, marketing manager and that. And I, this is Jim, Jim Nussbaumer here. They call me Jim, Jim Nussbaumer. And I said, hey, you know, oh, yeah, Jim. I said, hey, I'm, I'm out of prison. Can you believe it? I said, I got to talk to Dolores. And she says, Jim, we hate to say this, but um, uh, Dolores passed away in October. She had a hard fall and uh didn't went to the hospital and didn't make it and that's all i knew it was a hard fall I'm like, why didn't anybody tell me this and they said well we told all our authors about this everyone knew but we didn't want to bother you with this while you were in prison because we didn't want you to think that all hope was lost so you you know so they they were right then giving me a strong arm and a, a strong backbone of them saying we you are with our family and you know how much that meant to me? I can't imagine. I mean, Gary, that, that, that just had. So from there, um, I started rebuilding. And uh, now we've got, uh, you know, uh, and, and then I'll let you ask me some questions. So now we got, here's the second book. I showed you the first one. It's called Mastering Your Own Spiritual Freedom. It's a sequel to the first book. And then uh, this one's called, And Then I Knew My Abundance, which is really dear to my heart. And then we've got the fourth book, which is uh, was out a year ago, called Living Your Dream and Not Someone Else's. 
And this book really touches place really good for the reader on what's going down right now with all this stuff in our country. You know what I mean? In the, in the world with this thing over the, you know, you know what I mean? The conflict going on. And, but the book was written by hand before I knew any about this coming out. Mm. It, you know, a lot of the stuff that you're hearing about the, the, uh, the higher consciousness, the real consciousness, the true consciousness, and all this being, um, the truth being revealed that you're seeing on, not on mainstream media, but on whatever your local media is that you're following, uh, that fourth book really, I'm seeing what I'm seeing, you know, what, what they're saying. And it's everything. It's like things that I've written in that book. So from there, I gave you, uh, I got a little long winded and got on, on a little, uh, thing there. But, um, so that's basically my story. So now I'm speaking wherever I can speak. Um, I am, uh, just, uh, promoting my books. I'm trying to, my website, jamesnussbomber.com. Uh, I, um, now I'm finding I have to be careful what I put on Facebook or they put me in Facebook jail, the same with Twitter. So, uh, cause at one time Twitter, uh, had, uh, put me in Twitter jail for three days because I mentioned the word true consciousness in one of my tweets. And I say that voluntarily because people need to know about that, what's going on. But I'm not a rebel in that, in that respect. But I do, I'm a, I'm a, represent, a representative of real freedom and real truth. Not the truth that they want us to understand, but the real truth that is within us. Um, as I take a sip of my coffee, Gary, I'll let you have the stage a little bit if you want to ask me anything. <laughs> well, you know, um, you know, what is it that you learned? Like, 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 what is the true truth? Like, like, my opinion is, you know, and I've skimmed over like the titles of your books and some of the stuff on Amazon and, um, you know, like my own personal belief is that, um, that consciousness is everything. We create everything with our mind. Um, you know, um, it, it's just a matter of looking, I don't know, like, 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 like all those outside distractions, the news, the world, the money, all this stuff. It's fake. It's all man-made. It's all artificial. It's not real. Um, what is real is what we can create with our thoughts or, and even that is kind of sketchy. Like, cause, cause you know, nothing in, in a way is real. Um, so, so what is your take on, on, on all that? Well, I can say it this way with some notes that I'm looking at my own notes, not from someone else. Um, see the body, the physical body only seems to be real and outside of our mind. That's where we don't understand that the body is not, uh, is not the body seems to be real and outside of our mind, but it see, it seems to surround who we truly are. In other words, okay, because, but the, the body is only the image and is, is really not 
there at all. It's just an image of what we project. And we project the world that we see from what we can call, however you want to term it, that we call in my books, the dream of separation. Separation from what? Separation from creator. Think of the of a a big light. Well, we could say like the real sun for as an example. The sun, okay? Uh, the sun shines everywhere, no matter where you live in the world. Uh, but it might be sunny here, but it might not be sunny where you're at. But the sun's still shining in full force. Only thing is clouds blocking it. Okay, but so, you know, the, the clouds, we get clouded vision a lot, right, in our, in our way of seeing things. And the, the people that want to control us and say that, that, no, we are our body and we're not uh, one with God are trying to keep our vision clouded. But, you know, it, it, and, that causes, and that causes pain within us. And that causes us to make stupid decisions like I had went through in the decision I made. And, of course, I'll still say to this to this day, I should have never been sentenced to 10 years in prison. Actually, I did eight, a little over eight. But then again, if I hadn't gone to prison for 10 years, sentence, these books may not have ever come forth. And I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. So there's a certain cause and effect for that. So what is real, we have to look at, is not really the physical. It's the light of who we are. Darkness comes in from the clouded, the clouds, clouded thinking, clouded thoughts. But where light is, so, you know, think of, um, well, first of all, when the sun's coming up in the morning, wherever you are, there's a glorious sunrise coming up, okay? Well, the the darkness, the darkness the night before that's going away, the darkness is not putting out the light. The light is attracting the darkness to the light, and the darkness fades away, and the sun comes up. So the sun sets in the west, and it goes beyond, but then the darkness comes back in, only for the night and then in the morning. So the same thing with the clouds. When the clouds the clouds fade away only because, well, weather conditions, that's a physical sense. Uh, but light is always shining. It's always shining. It's constant with a capital C. Constant. It's never up. Now, I'm not saying the sun. That's of, that's of this world and the universe. But the light of our creator. I, I call God because we were taught that, and many do. And whatever term you use, that's fine because it's just letters in the alphabet. That is the light. And so all the troubles in the world we're seeing is of darkness trying to rule. So if we if we stand up and face that darkness with the light that's within us head on, that's how you are a truth seeker. That's how I had to save my life at times while I was in prison. I'd have to stare down at someone in a way and say, shine my light on him in a way after I got really involved in my studies and writing it. If someone was about to attack me, which happened a lot and I explained a few of my books, I, I could just, I do, I said, I get to shine my light. I said, listen, this prison, this prison thing is a bitch for all of us. Come on now. Let's, and, 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 he, and, and they would say, yeah, I agree. All right. And he'd turn around and walk away. My light attracted their darkness to me. 
And as it came to me, it faded away. So when we can focus, when any one of your listeners can find the, now this is a little difficult to me, for me, Gary, too, as we're talking. So for your listeners, this is not scripted. So I don't have a script that I'm going off of. So we're, we're winging this. So um, I'm just going off of right. what I've written for all those years and uh, still writing every day since. I've never stopped. That's what I'm doing, speaking and writing. But if we could, for your listeners and you, if we can all, you know, what is real? It's the light in you. The light in you knows when something's wrong and knows when something's right. But the light in you can't go to the what's wrong and say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. You you know, because all you're doing now is you're judging. In light, there's no judgment. There's no fear. There's no doubt. There's no, uh, sometimes the truth is, there's no stretching the truth, okay? Light is truth. It's all there is. It's one thing. So if, and that's why meditation is good. But if you can learn to tap into the light, and that's what I teach in my books and, and some courses I got going too, is if you can hone into the light that you are, you will, whenever darkness approaches you, it will fade away as it comes to you. And that's what we're seeing happening now in the world with all this stuff that's going on is the darkness of, you may heard of things of the deep state, the cabal and all that stuff. And I don't want to get into that right now, because that's not what this is about. But the bad things of the world right now is all starting to fade away because the more it comes to the light, the truth, it just it fades, it fades away until, until it's totally gone. So your listeners, you and yourself and your listeners uh, want to just try to go within yourself and say, how do I just live by the real light that I am? You know, and just do that. Of course, we're all going to make our mistakes because the human will never be, uh, while we're in this world, free of total darkness. It won't always be light, but at least we can live by the light at a higher percentage of what we are versus having the darkness rule on our everyday life. So people can live by their life and by the light in them, everything that they do. And the light in them, I, I will say, the light in you is God. It's your source with a capital S. That is the light of who you are. Like I'd say, call it whatever name you want. It's just letters in the alphabet. But it's the meaning behind the words that we're after. So no matter what you are in... in um, I uh, do this uh, simple little prayer if I'm uh, up against darkness. And a lot of times it's an exercise, most every night almost, I'll, while I'm in bed. And you say there's this kind of night you just can't get to sleep because there's things are bothering you. And, you know, I will just say, um, I am at one with my creator. Nothing else can disturb that. I am at one with my creator. Nothing else can get in the way of that. that and, and that's really all you have to do. Keep that kind of in your mind and live it and believe it, you know? So, uh, you know, like I said, if we had, if I would have scripted some things together, <coughs> excuse me, we might have had a little more of a um, more direct point, but, hmm. but maybe a lot of times these non-scripted kind of 
sessions are probably the best way to go. I, I, I think so. I think so, too. That's why I do it. Um, yeah. One of the things that I think is, you know, you mentioned like everybody, you know, you know, becoming, you know, in touch with the, that, the light that we're light and that's our source. Um, and, and, you know, darkness is darkness. Um, do you, I, I find that anyway, when I look at the world, that there might be some confusion. I think some people might confuse darkness for light and light for darkness. Uh, would you agree with that? Oh yeah, I agree. And, and, and we can say that, uh, you know, a lot of times we like to falsify the truth, right? Or mm -hmm. stretch the truth, so to speak. That's the same thing. You know, you're confusing. When you stretch the truth, you're confusing that for the real truth. And that's the same thing as confusing darkness for light. But see, we're so used to this world of being judged and people telling us how we need to believe. And the more you go out to your friends around and say, oh, yeah, you got to be the light. you got to be the light, not the darkness. You know, they're just going to think you're a nut and that doesn't work. And because, you know, that just doesn't work. When people see that the light is shining in you and everything that you do, uh, you know, I walk around. Uh, now, I don't profess myself to be some saint or anything, but I do profess myself to be that I did find the light in a way that I needed to find it. And I'm still... Uh, I'm, I'm still, I'm still shedding, fading away darkness, let's say, and uncovering light. I can walk down the street and say, without fear, and say to, like this, this for example, yesterday, but you know, I've always liked classic rock and roll, you know. And there was this guy walking down the street in my little town where I'm at right now, called Massillon, Ohio. And this guy, ah, ten years younger than me, had a beard like down to his belly button almost, you know. And first thing I thought of was, remember ZZ Top? Mm -hmm. I said, I just passed him by. I said, hey, ZZ Top, how you doing? I gave him a thumbs up. And he looked back and he said, ah, you know. So right there was a connection. And he walked his way and I went, you know, we, so right there was a connection. He knew that I wasn't giving him a bunch of, uh, trying to attack him. I would just, you know, say, hey. Mm -hmm. And we, and so that right there was a, an exchange of light for light. We could say right now that, that our conversation right now, you and I, and your listeners who are listening to this right now, if they're in tune and they're like listening, they're listening to this real close to us. We, the, all of us right now in this moment are sharing the light. So, you know, a, um, it's just only you know the truth and the light within mm -hmm. you. You know if there's darkness and you know if you're BSing yourself about something. Only you know. You know, I mean you personally, but all of us. Only we know. You know, we, we can fib ourselves all we want, like I said, stretching the truth and, and things. Um you know, like with my prison sentence, I can't I can't say that no, I wasn't guilty. I can't say I I, I was not guilty all the way. No, I, I, I crossed an illegal line and I, you know, and I reimbursed the people that lost, but, but, you know, I, and I, and I had, and I stepped up to that. Um, but, uh, it, it was, um, uh, yeah, I, just because, you know, if I, and what I'm going to say, I don't mean to be like I'd say being a victim. Okay. I really am not trying to come across that way. 
but it was at a time where corruption was running the United States of America. It still is today, but it's coming down. And at that time, in 2006, when I was going through my case, and I was by 2007 when I went to prison, there was more corruption going on in the world than there is today. The corruption's coming down. It is. If, and I'm sure many of your listeners are seeing this happening. But like I said before, we don't want to get on that today because that's not the subject of this. If you want to talk about it on another episode, I, I'd be glad to do that. But not today. Today, I want people to... Mm-hmm. Today, I want people, let me say it this way, to buy all of my books. Is that okay <laughs> to say that? Go to Ozark Mountain Publishing Company or go to Amazon or go to your favorite bookstore. And if you go to Barnes & Noble or whatever bookstore you go to and they don't have it on their shelf, just ask them why they don't and if they could get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's available anywhere you go. So uh, if, if people will read my first book, the second book, the third book, the fourth book, and then the fifth one coming out, in the order that I'd written, um, they'll understand more deeply about the light within them and what I'm talking about. And if someone buys the second book but never read the first book, they'll be okay. And I explain that in each one of my books. Like in book three, I I think I open up in the introduction saying, well, listen, this is my third book. If you haven't read the first or two one, don't worry about it. You'll be okay because I've written it in a way where uh, you know, I'll bring you, I'll pull you fast forward into what's going on. And then that, and people like that and say, Oh, now I got to go back and get book one. Mm-hmm. So, but I, if anybody's really serious about what I write about, I, I highly recommend that you start with book one and two, three, four, and then five and more coming out. And <laughs> so far, all of those are Mountain Publishing Company and uh, just, just a, a great, great company. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely, I'll also post the links to your books in the notes of this episode. So in your blog, send me the link to your blog too. And I'll put that in there too. So people can check all that out. Well, you've got the link to my website there. Yeah. On the thing that my blog is right there at that website. Um, so, so in course of miracles, like I, I also like, I, I've seen it quoted and quoted and quoted and, I've never read it, you know. In fact, today I was just looked it up after I was reading some of your stories. Well, maybe one day I should should read this. Then I said, "Oh wow, it's like fifteen hundred pages. I don't know about this," <laughs> you know. Um, right. But I've also seen that there's books that uh, sort of sum it up. I think uh, what it, Robert Cohen or somebody wrote one that sort of yeah sums right. it up. Um, mm-hmm. Like, what is the main message in that book? Well, like what is it that makes it so popular? My my uh, books sum it up too, like you're saying. Uh, the Course in Miracles. First of all, you can't just it, someone. You could go buy my book, my first book, and and read it in a couple of days and say, "Man, this is great." Okay, but you can't do that with the Course in Miracles. It ha- it becomes a lifelong study because it's so abstract in the way it's written. When I was in those days in, in prison and I started, I said, well, I just made a commitment. I said, okay, I'm starting with page one and I got 10 years here. I'm just <laughs> going to go page by page. And I got to the end and, 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 and did it. And I still didn't know what the hell was going on, but I was, I was getting uh, headaches and stuff and couldn't sleep. At, at, well, of course, you never could sleep in prison, but different kind of things 
And because what was happening is the darkness in me was being deteriorated, was fading away. And that was, that was hurting my psyche. So, so I made it. So something came to me in the, in the night or whatever. So I said, all right, as long as I'm in prison and probably because I'm still thinking I'm going to spend 10 years here, like, like I said, which I did with eight, I'm going to start with page one and I'm going to read every single word. I'm not going to worry about dissecting it. I'm not going to worry about trying to highlight things. I'm not going to worry about, uh, make other, I was making notes for my books, but I'm just going to read over everything carefully. One chapter, one page, one chapter after another till I get to the end. And then when I get to the end, I'll go back and start over again. And so I did that every, every year. I'm still doing it today. <coughs> so it becomes a lifelong. So anyways, to sum it up, what the Course in Miracles is trying to get through is trying to tell us in an abstract way that if you, if you, and it, my books will make it, e if you're a serious, if you seriously want to follow A Course in Miracles, if you study that and dive into it like I did, plus read my books, boy, it will give you a, it will give you a fast pace in there to where it will help more because I break it down. You read my books, you won't have them headaches like I was talking about because I'm breaking it down for more concrete terms. Mm -hmm. You got abstract and concrete. Of course, the miracles is abstractly written to, to, to touch the subliminal mind. And so what, so what it's getting to, to answer your question is that what it means is that it's a course, it's a course in miracles. Now, in some of my blogs, I might say the course of miracles, but it's really not the course of miracles. The only reason for it is because of the course of miracles is a good key keyword at Google that people will look up. So we might stick that in there to, to people because people don't know. They go to what is the course of miracles? And so, you know, sometimes I'll mention that just to get a Google alert, you know, to get people to the blog. And there's nothing wrong with that. But um, it's a course of miracles. So what the miracle means is that really what the Course in Miracles is trying to, first of all, I could go into more what it's really about, but it's, uh, it's bringing to the light. It's letting you know that you are connected directly to your source and that is your light. And the more you trust in that and, and see that, then the darkness in your life will never affect you no matter what you go through. Now, the course of, a course in miracles was started right the writing of it started in 1964 just after uh, John F Kennedy was assassinated. And but that's not mentioned in it. But it's that time. And a course of miracles was started by <clears throat> a woman who's a psychologist at um, Columbia University in New York, Helen Schuchman, uh, grew up from a, in a Jewish family, but she didn't have, she lost faith in that and became an atheist all of her life, became a psychologist. And so in 1964, she started getting these messages that, in her mind that she just, to write this down, to write this down. And she started writing this and writing this down. 
something told her she just needed. So all of a sudden she had all these journals, kind of like my journals, okay, that I was telling you about that formed in the books. So she got with her um, her work colleague named William Thetford, and both of them are no longer living right now. At uh, and she he did the, he said well, then they were at odds with each other about different things and psychological. They were both psychologists, things that they believed. And she said, and he said, well, listen, this, what you're writing down, she said, there's this message is coming from me. It's, it's channeling, it's channeling coming to me. And, uh, and she says, it's coming to me. And it's telling me that it's Jesus telling, giving me this. But remember, she was raised Jewish and an atheist, right? So, uh, Thetford said, well, all right, give me what you're handwriting and scribing. And I'll get behind the typewriter and type it. No computer then, 1964. So they started doing that. And uh, it kept going and kept going and kept going. The years went by. And it wasn't published until 1975. So it was a 10-year process. So it was like almost directly within like a year after The Course in Miracles was published, not by a mainstream publisher, it went right into the public domain, like the Bible is. In other words, it's it's owned by the public. Mm-hmm. Uh, within about about a year after that was published, uh, Helen Schuchman, uh died suddenly. I mean, I think maybe the age of seventy or something like that. You know, not not like of old age. So she she left this world suddenly. So it never got any groundwork. I mean, it was it, when it, it took a while to get groundwork. So it's got grassroots groundwork going, but it's all about. And so in William Thetford, I think he died recently after that too. The two of them. There's been so many people, but it, so it, it's but it's not just a course in miracles that I'm promoting with my books. It's helped me to more understand the Bible than the way some people have interpreted it. My, my knowledge and my understanding of A Course in Miracles helps me to more clearly go into the Old Testament especially and, and look at something and, and, and say, now, you know, now I see, and I, and I give examples of that in my first book. Now I can see this more clearly. But this course of Mir- A Course in Miracles is psychological data. It's, 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 it's psychological to turn, to, to, to shine the light to bring forth the light within you and rid your darkness. And when you rid your darkness, that what this does to help, now you go pick up the Bible and you can more clearly, oh, so this is what it means. Hmm. Because the Bible is more about physical things that happen, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Noah's Ark and you know everything you can think of, Adam and Eve in the garden, biting the apple and all that. And, and I mean, I'm not saying that there's, there's that's wrong. No, I'm not. I'm just saying, now, in a psychological way, you can go in to understand what these writings were intended to do for us. Uh, but I think that your listeners, if they're listening so far into this podcast, understand that. Um, but it's still difficult. So don't expect that you can go pick up A Course in Miracles and uh, just, you know, read it in a day and say, oh, oh I read that. That's great. No, it is not that way. It's a, it's a deep, deep, lifelong study. But it's a, it's, a, it's a very rewarding study, very rewarding. And if, if people choose to dive into it, 
and, and need help, my books will help them there. But it, it's not just that I, you know, like I said, it, it's a, a Course in Miracles is not everything in my life of spiritual curriculums. It's just one of many that are great uh, curriculums, spiritual curriculums to, you know, I, I follow things in the Jita and the, and, and the, the Tao, which is pronounced Tao, but, the, you know, and so it, it's, it, it does, but it's not ancient writings, but it's coming from an ancient source, which the author of the book is considered to be Jesus, but not Jesus the man, Jesus Christ, Christ. So the consciousness, what A Course in Miracles gets to, so I guess maybe I kind of was going on and on, but what A Course in Miracles tries to teach us is that the higher consciousness, the real consciousness, true consciousness that we're trying to reach. What is it? It's Christ consciousness. When we, when we live, so in other words, but the word Christ is only a word. It's only letters in the alphabet. Somebody coined that ages ago, whatever. But Christ consciousness is not Jesus the man, but Jesus the man was here to teach us that we are all a part of Christ consciousness. That's what he's here to do. That's what he was here to do. So when you when you the more light that you that you shine on the darkness as the darkness goes away, the more you are at one with everyone you run into in Christ consciousness. Just like I said, I walked by a, a guy I didn't even know and I called him ZZ Top because he had a long beard, but he knew I was chuckling with him and you know poking fun a little bit in a loving way. There was Christ consciousness happening right there. You know, it's kind of in the Bible. It's somewhere. It says, you know, Jesus, like this mentioned, uh, you know, watch the children play and laugh. Right. And, you know, that's Christ consciousness. It's 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 not difficult. But we the darkness that's been that's been uh, put on us. We uh, try to make it difficult by. I'm not saying I'm against religion at all, but uh, let me say dogmas. Different dogmas have taught us to obey things that really deep in we know well, how come they're telling me to do this that doesn't make sense to me well I'll just do it anyway right because that's what god says <laughs> no this church told me to do this god didn't they this organization that doesn't mean god told me to do this so i think you get my drift on that gary yeah yeah and you know what? We're on this. We're on a video here, but your readers can't, uh, your listeners can't see it. And I can already see the light in you shining. <laughs> well, this I can, and that smile you got on your face is so much more beautiful than when we first met each other in the beginning, because you didn't know who I was. I didn't mm -hmm. know who you were, but now you're you feel at one with me. Oh, you yeah. know I'm no threat to you. I know you're no threat to me. <laughs> Of course you knew that before you look at your laugh see it's so well, it, there we go well i have a fun i have a, a weird view on that like i don't believe anything is a threat period <laughs> that's good yeah you know, right. I, I don't think it you know even like like with the, the the darkness um you know that there can't really be darkness without that light to begin with so even that darkness is not necessarily a threat you're right because it's You're all right. it's it's all one. It's our limited perception as humans, 
where we split everything up into a dualistic point of view. That's how, that's the only way we can understand things. Right. Um, I agree. And it's when we step out of our, our logical mind that we can perceive that, that everything is just one thing. Wholeness. Yeah. Yeah. That's what A Course in Miracles teaches. But again, I'm not here promoting A Course in Miracles. I'm just saying it's something that that turned up the volume on my light, the dimmer switch, so to speak, on the light in me, okay? And it, which it helped me to say, you need to start writing these books. And, uh, you know, like I said in the business I was in for 25 years, I was a business I loathed, L-O-A-T-H-E-D, not loved, loathed. I just, it was, but I now, uh, as an author and in, in, in speaking and 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 with courses and that, I, I, I don't feel that way. I just feel that, man, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and I love yeah. it, you know? And that's the way we're all supposed to be, be thinking. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure it's that 25 years in that business, the, the, the stint in prison, it was all meant to happen to get you where you are. It was, it's just yeah. a vehicle to, to bring you to the next place where you're supposed to be. Absolutely. You know, because if you weren't, you didn't do that eight years, you would have written all these books. That's right. Yeah. Was there any other influences in prison that that happened that that affected how you view humanity? Like, did you, like, like it, it, I imagine, like, like if I was in prison and and I'm there with all these people that were supposed to be bad, you know, but really. You know, are they that bad? You know, I mean, like, like, like people do bad things, but the people themselves are still just people. And is it any of that influence your writing or work? Yeah, I explain in my, uh, well, in all my books, really, uh, I, ex- I give examples of the people that I've run into, uh, of friends that I made and, and then people that were the bully kind of people that wanted to, uh, you know, and uh, you people you had to stand up to if you didn't. Uh, but yes, there were there were people that that did commit murder. That and they admitted, yeah, I did this. Uh, you become no one's really friends in prison. You call them your dudes, okay? If there's a couple people you can get along with, you know, okay, let, you're my dude, and you you give them a you know a fist. That's like a hand, prison handshake. All right, you're my dude. Hey, you know, if you want to talk about it anymore, you know, let me know, whatever. And so, you know, people never tell the whole story, but they tell, you know, and you can tell. And, but then there's, there, there are guys that uh, are in there for committed murder that really never did the, never did it and were, uh, just took it to a jury trial and, and, uh, lost their case. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of examples I can say. Um, you know, what, what really comes to mind. Uh, when in while in prison, eight years I did, I witnessed seven people being killed, murdered, uh, within say 10 yards from me. And, uh, so that was seven, and there's a lot of it happens to you because the gangs, there's gangs, and you, you either, if you don't, uh, uh, join a gang, then you decide to be solo. And uh, if you're solo, they say, well, they try to recruit you. So you have to stand up to that and say, basically, you know, leave me alone. 
So I described this story in chapter 15, it is, in my first book. I was leaving the uh, the chow hall, and uh, I got struck in the back of the head. In other words, a gang was out to get me. And I got struck in the back of the head with a copper pipe that a guy had stole from the maintenance department. And I went down. I was out for a few seconds, and there was a guard on the other side. He came up. My head was bleeding, and the guy that struck me ran, you know, to where he to get back to where his unit is and that. And, and but they knew who he was because everything's on camera in there. And um, so th they carried me to the infirmary, the clinic there, and I had to get like about half a dozen stitches in the back of my head. And so immediately they took me to the hole, segregation. And the reason anytime that happens, they put they put you in the hole because until they do an investigation to make sure that uh, to, to check out and see what really went down. But and uh, and uh, and they do it out of your safety too, I guess. Uh, but so anyways, I was taken to the hole after my head was stitched up in the hole. And the hole is not a nice place to be, I'm telling you. <clears throat> More people die in the hole than they do in the general population. So, <laughs> uh, but, um, so while I was in the hole, um, the hole is designed for two men uh, to be there. Uh, so I was in the hole for 11 days until they finally cleared me that there was no foul play on my part about being... Uh, actually, after I was released from the hole is that time when I went into the library a couple of days after that, I was recovering from the hole when the Course in Miracles stumbled on my foot after that incident. So while in the hole, um, out of that 11 days, there's a few times I had a, a, a hole mate, you call it, and I was you know, hoping the whole time I would not get a hole mate, but usually there was like two days I didn't have a hole mate because maybe that person it was was you know taken out to relieved or whatever set free from that so there was a, a, a guy in a cell next to me separating us from the cell next to me was a block wall i couldn't see him uh not, it wasn't like bars you could see the guy next it was a block wall separating us and then uh the door on the on the on the cell for that hole was like a solid steel door with a food slot near the bottom for them when they bring the food or a tray of food around, which is really not food, it's slop. And they, you know, put it in the, through the food slot. So you, you never get out of there. They just put that in there. So this guy, his name was Steve. And I tell the story in detail. Um, he's like uh, knocking on his door. Hey, dude, hey, dude, are you over there? And he's knocking. Yeah, who are you? My name is Steve. What are you doing in here? You know, we talked through the food slot. His food slot, and he was on the right side of me. And I said, yeah, I'm alone in here. Are you? Yeah, I'm alone. But I, he would say, I think I'm going to be getting somebody soon in with me. But I don't know. He says, if you're lucky, you can stay alone. Now. I said, well, I just had a, had a guy that they was there and left. You know, anyway. So we're talking and communicating. Hey, what are you in for? You know, what are you doing? What are you doing in prison? You know, and I would exchange that, like things like I told you. And I said, what are you in for? He was a, he was a, um, <clears throat> Uh, auto body uh, had a body shop a body is a not a not a mechanic but a auto body guy fixing you know wrecked cars and uh something happened there he got a six-year sentence i don't want to get into that he said, yeah i'm doing six years for this bunch of bullshit but anyways he goes and i how long you been in here so far he was just getting ready to finish his second year his second is six years and i was in there um like just six months. I mean, I was new to the whole prison. 
And so it's called, you know, the gang came after me because I, I didn't want to be a part of them. So that's, that's who struck me. I mean, that's who brought me down thinking that they would get me to join the gang, uh, the gang. So, but, it, but anyway, so anyways, I'm, as I'm talking to Steve next to me, um, he, he's, so he says, Hey, what can you, can you get me? Yeah. I mean, he was saying things like, Oh, I think I got like eight months to go and then I'm out of here or something like that. So well, I'm just in here. How long are you doing? 10 years. Oh, man, you got to wake up. You ever been in prison before? No. Oh my God. You got to wake up. Let me tell you some things that's going on. So anyway, for a day or two, we'd share things and he would tell me things going on. And he said that uh, gang activity was uh, really bad. And, uh, and, and, and this was, I mentioned the name of the prison I was at in my book in that chapter. But anyways, so uh, he gave me some uh, some pointers as to what I should expect, and he says you gotta you gotta stand up to the gang. You cannot give in to them. You will never make it through your ten years if you don't stand up to them. So, anyways, he there was uh, I heard some maybe like the next day some uh, opening of the door next to him, and and they they shoved the guy in there with him in the cell. It was like hours later. Because you hear chains dragging, because you're you're in chains when they bring you there, shackles dragging along the floor and that kind of thing, and they shoved the guy in there with him, a young uh, a black man, and not to be prejudiced, I just say because it was a black man, I could see I would bend down and look out the corner of the food uh, slot and I could see it was a black man, young black man. Steve was 47 years old, so a couple hours later. I heard Steve crying for help and heard pounding on the steel door. This young black guy beat Steve to death uh, by knocking his head against the steel door. Beat him to death. I yelled through the food slot, we need help over here, we need help over here, guard. And then no guards would come around. And finally a guard came and he looked at, and the window on the cell, on the door is like a very narrow window, like maybe six inches in width and maybe like 10 inches uh long you know like a long rectangle and and uh guards were looking in and a guard was shuffling his keys i, I could look peek through the food slot and see this guard was nervous he was shuffling his keys he couldn't get the key in there and all the thing everything was quiet i could hear him call for medics and uh they took this guy out the black guy out in cuffs and they threw him out into the hallway where he stumbled and fell, I could see that through the food slot. And uh, about a half hour later, the uh, infirmary came along and uh, took Steve out with a white sheet over his head. He was dead. Mm -hmm. Wow. Right before he was ready to be released. Right. Yeah. So uh, that, and he was a really nice guy. He uh, never, I got never got to see his face. Never even knew his last name. Uh, in fact, when that was all over with, they they called me before I was left relieved from the hole. They called me into what's called the inspector's office to see if there's any what I heard because the guard that came there said he may know something. And uh, the best thing you can do is to not say not voluntary information because if you do uh if i would have told that story to them uh it would have leaked out and then i would have been a target so you know that's 
kind of the way you have to protect yourself. So, but anyways, had I met that guy, Steve, he was a really nice guy from voice only. And, uh, uh, him and I probably would be, uh, communicating online today and being out, me being out and, you know, laughing and chuckling about that or sharing, you know, sharing our love with each other. I'm sure we would, uh, you know, genuine light, sharing our light, I guess we could say. So somehow, you know, he gave me a lot of uh, more information than I can tell you on this podcast of for the years ahead of me in there, uh, how to handle myself from his experiences where you almost got finished, almost finished six years. Mm -hmm. And I was brand new, you know, so, so, okay. You know, Wow. I, I mean, in my books, I share so many more experiences, uh, but that one really is uh, is top of the charts for me. I'll never forget that experience. What do you think of the guy who killed him? Uh, I heard through pop, you know, then when I got, I was out of the hole. I went and there was another, another guy that I was, my dude, who I talked to at the unit, uh, that they sent me back to. Um, of course, then you lose your bed location because someone else is in it. It's so overcrowded. That's the thing. If you go to the hole, then they, all your personal belongings, they pack up in a big, huge, huge, like six foot trash bag. Everything is dump everything. Even like, well, I didn't have this book at the time, but, uh, you know, anything you have. And then you, you get out of the hole when you're released, you're weak. Yeah. I mean, you're in there, you drag in this big trash bag a couple blocks away, like city blocks away to your housing unit. And now you're in a new neighborhood location of people. Now you got to start over there meeting people. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you're dragging that, that trash bag in with all your stuff in it, everyone knows that uh, you're just coming from the hole. So everybody's like, hey, dude, what? why were you in the hole? What were you in the hole? Well, you know, please leave me alone for a couple of days. I'll talk later, you know. So then you got to make new friends in that area. And so it, it's brutal. But um, so anyways, I talked to another guy that I was close to. And I mentioned his name in the book. His name was Russ. And Russ is still in prison. Uh, and he's, he, he, was, he was doing 28 years. And I don't want to get into that. But a, a good guy should have never got 28 years for what he'd done. But uh, uh, anyways, uh, he um, said, I said, hey, you know, Russ, I said, uh, when I was back and I calmed down after a few days, I said, I witnessed the murder was there. He said, he goes, we all heard about it. Everyone, the word got out. We didn't know that you saw it, but we heard about it. We heard about it. And uh, so the word was, is that um, uh, he, he was put in there by the gang. Uh, there's a couple different gangs. They're national gangs that, had, that franchise themselves around the prisons. And uh, that he was a part of the gang, and the, the the reason he was put in there was to terminate Steve. Hmm. It's true. That's what goes on. Yeah. So it sounds like me. He may have even knew it when he says, "Like I think I'm going to be getting a mate soon." Yeah, he probably knew what was coming on. Yeah. Wow. You know. Yeah. Hmm. So, so now that you, afterwards, like, like, you know, when you got out and, and your books were already being published, um, 
Like, what was that like for you? Um, like, like when you did you feel like a renewed purpose in life? Yeah, I felt as though that. Well, once I landed, uh, like I told you in, in our conversation earlier, once I got those two offers in that week mm-hmm. in 2014 to publish my books, uh, I knew that what I'd been in uh, since 2000, so I'd been in seven years to that point. I knew then what I was in for. I mean, what why I was there, and I just needed to. Get, now I was more seasoned as an inmate knowing what to, how to keep care of my, you know, watch over myself and that. Uh, so I knew and I was ready. That I knew that, because uh, I, I had a lot of, you know, guys I talked to, like we say, you know, they're your dudes that were doing life sentences that were never going to get out. And, uh, you know, they would say to me, like, you're only doing 10 years? Oh, God, it's a walk in the park. You know, so, you know. But, so at least where I was at, the course, a course of miracles talks a lot about the Holy Spirit, which is really Christ consciousness, and so that Christ consciousness, the Holy Spirit was telling me at that point that you are going to get released soon, and you here are you're doing what you need to do. I mean, you know, and uh, you're gonna everything's going to be okay. You know, worst comes to worst, you're going to do all the ten years. And I did like eight years and three months. Um, so when I got out and touched my feet on freedom and stated that my 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 mom and dad who were, who were no longer living now but were in their 80s when i was released and i was able to stay with them at their home the same home i grew up in uh for a few months until i got on my feet and it was just so it was a great experience to uh be with them you know and it was going into the spring and summer at that time and my dad was using a cane and he needed help mowing the grass. So, so that was kind of uplifting and, you know, just to, you know, kind of heal a little bit from those eight years, but being with my parents in the home that I grew up in, you yeah. know, so that was very healing right there. And, uh, but there's, it's, it's hard to explain. It's, I'm still, uh, uh, you know, I still have dreams, uh, about it. There's times I wake up in the middle of the night and you know kind of still half dreaming and thinking that i'm still in there and they're not going to release me yeah so <laughs> but i've learned how to quickly get over that and uh and laugh about it and yeah. uh, you know move on so yeah it's it's, it's a great ex- i don't say it was, a, it was a great experience but not one that i wish on anybody else <laughs> wow hey um so so before we wrap it up, one more time, can you tell my listeners where they can find you? Yes. Uh, my website, jamesnussbomber.com. That's spelled N-U-S-S-B-A-U-M-E-R, all lowercase. I'm sure you'll have that on your on your uh, podcast thing. Mm-hmm. Or they can go directly to Ozark Mountain Publishing Company. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Twitter. Uh, my handle there is J-A-S. N-U-S-S, it stands for Jass Noose. Uh, Jass Noose, that's it. But you can probably, and, and you just, all you do is do, do a Google search. Uh, look up James Nussbaumer and um, author James Nussbaumer. But be careful. There's one other guy named James Nussbaumer who's about 20 years younger than me. I've never met him. That's an uncommon name. But he's a, like a, a commander in the uh, in the army. He's an Italian <laughs> commander in the army. And, 
and they sometimes Google will show his picture next to mine. And I'm like thinking, you know, that, that guy looks like he's family. Like he could be. <laughs> but anyways, you just let, find the author. Just Google me. But uh, go to my website, jamesrespond.com. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'll post some links to two in the notes again so they can find you okay, and, and yeah. find your books. Yeah. Now, this was awesome. It was great talking to you. You're you're definitely welcome back on here anytime. Okay. And um Well, keep in touch with me, Gary, if there's anything you want to talk about with everything that's I I see is coming down mm-hmm. with our world for a better for a good thing. If you ever wanted to go on those matters, let me know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'll keep that in mind. Okay. Um, all right. Well, thanks for being on. I'm going to wrap it up. I'm just going to play the outro, so hang on for one moment. Okay. Well, can I say one more thing? Absolutely. Uh, I, I want to say thank you to your listeners for listening to me this far into this podcast. And uh, I feel if you've listened to me this far, we share the same life. And uh, we're brothers in life is the way I like to look at it. And God bless everyone. Thanks. And bless you too. (laughs) Hang on one second. Okay, Gary. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life. Because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review and subscribe.